Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast. I'm your host, Rafe Kelly. At Evolve Move Play, our aim is to help you cultivate a more meaningful life and a more heroic self by reconnecting deeply to movement, mindfulness, nature, and community practices. This podcast was created to bring the best and brightest minds in all of these subjects together to better understand how we can create an empowering and sustainable ecology of practices for personal growth. If you're interested in being part of this ongoing conversation, the best way you can support us and get involved is by joining our Podcast Plus membership. By joining, you will get backstage access to our live podcast airing once a month, as well as a private question and answer session with me and our guests after the show. On top of that, you'll get access to our thriving online community where you can continue these deeper discussions with people all over the world who are just as passionate and curious about these topics as you. More details about the membership as well as the link to get signed up are in the description below. And whether you can join, be sure to like, share, subscribe, and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every Monday when our episodes drop. Thanks so much for your support and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Evolve Move Play podcast. This week, my guests are Christian and Damien DeVoe. Christian and Damien are the creators of World Chase Tag. World Chase Tag is an amazing new competitive sport that is being adopted by a lot of parkour athletes, has a lot of parkour influence in it, but obviously is really related to the, you know, the game of tag, which has been around forever. So Christian and Damien are really great guys. I've kind of you know, touch base with them a few times over the last couple of years. I wanted to bring them on because just recently World Chase Tag was featured on ESPN. It's really fun for me to see a bunch of my friends there uh, jumping around doing the competition. This is a pretty exciting development for the parkour community. Um, and yeah, I just thought it'd be really fun to bring these guys on and talk about the development of it. It's really cool stories, actually. There's a, a moment where it's revealed that maybe myself and the parkour visions had a little bit of influence on um on the development of of what became world chase tag which is kind of interesting um so yeah that's what's going on i think you guys are gonna really enjoy this super fun conversation so yeah without further ado enjoy my conversation with christian and damien devoe uh well welcome to the evolving play podcast it's a pleasure to speak with you guys nice yeah. to meet you nice thanks so you guys have uh quite the um landmark event coming up um, I guess you're filming with ESPN for World Chase Tag in August. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's got to feel yeah, pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, it, I think it's it's because we're, ESPN doesn't have the same feeling to us as it does to the Americans. It's really exciting. So we're we're getting excited because everyone is like, "Oh, ESPN! It's a really fantastic thing," you know. So we've actually been speaking to ESPN for quite a while. And uh, but we've never been able to like get it together um, for one thing or another. But um, like, and one of the things are like our partners is a, is a company called um, Tupelo Honey Productions, and they took um, an equity holding in Chase Tag um, last year. Mm -hmm. um, but prior to that, when we were speaking to ESPN, we wanted to do something for the Ocho, and um, me and Damon would just when we would do the 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 events what show the ocho it's like part of the they have a day the ocho is like um it started off as i think it started off the history of it maybe started off as a joke of um the dodgeball movie they yeah. had um so they had this like, eight the ocho right okay and then um which showcased other kind of alternative sports and then the ocho became a thing where um, 
where they would uh, they would show like so they started a someone started a, a subreddit called the Archer subreddit. And when I first heard about that subreddit, it had about maybe hundred thousand followers or something like that. But I think now it's it's got about four hundred thousand like followers on Reddit, and um, and then it's sort of gaining popularity. And now ESPN have an Ocho Day once a year where they show other kind of sports, yeah. And um, they wanted us to do this like a few years ago, and. When me and Damon, well, mainly when Damon edits the videos, um, you know, we could just put it out on YouTube. That's one thing, you know, yeah. it's very like untechnical, so to speak. But ESPN gave us this manual of what we needed to supply to them. And like, it was like we were lost in space. You know, we tried to do it. And um, it's like a 75 page manual about how it needs to be, everything needed to be framed and um, subtitled and stuff like that. Um, and we didn't have the facilities, obviously, that or the knowledge to even read the manual, much less do what they were asking for. So we had to postpone it. But we're back this year. And the, the event, we, the US Championships this year is actually part of the Ocho um, 24 Hours Ocho. Um, so it's part of that event, you know. Um, so there's quite a few sort of alternative sports um, showcasing on that. And we're one of the sports. And then hopefully the World Championships, if we can do that later on this year, that'll also be live on ESPN. So it's... we. And the big stage for us is step up. I mean, it's, it's good that it's on ESPN. That's a big step up. But the big step step up this time is that it's live. Um, and we've never done that before. We did it before, like on Lad Bible and on Facebook. But this year, this that's going to be the big step up. Every year, whenever we do an event, there's always some big thing. Oh, no, this is going to be hard to cope with. This is going to be hard to cope with. Like, you know, the last year, last time we did the US Championships last year, there were two big things really we were doing it in america it's the first time we ever did a, um, um, an event in america we didn't have all the crew we have here so it was all new crew we had to build a new quad and everything like that and we were dealing with covid and this time it's the fact that it's live so um that'll be one extra sort of new experience notched off the list when we do it this time you know right. cool so um so yeah so you guys have been doing world chase tag since what 2014 approximately we we started like we, I guess the 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 final version that that you see now kind of started in with our first event in two thousand and sixteen. Okay, which is in when we we and we call that first event essentially it's WCT one, but at the time we called it the Stara Chase Off because uh, we right. had Stara and then we had three other teams that competed against Stara. But prior to that, we started a meetup group in. 2014, where we would just go into Hyde Park and just with Baratape, actually doing things very similar to, to what you kind of do. Like you have meetups with people in the park. Yeah. Um, ours was just, we would just chase each other. Yeah. Around, through the trees with a bit of Baratape. That was it. Yeah. I was watching one of the videos you sent me and I was like, oh, they're jumping through trees. This is right up my alley. Yeah. Um, very cool. So well, it kind of started. It kind of started in the back garden, um, just from, I remember the first day when we first, um, Orlando, Christian's son, was always very athletic, but he was never into tag. Christian's already telling the story, but I've started, so I might as well continue. But um, he was always asking us to play tag the whole time because he, he liked being active, but he didn't like the traditional sports. Mm. And there was one um, particular day, he was always asking us to play tag, but there was one particular day where Christian did the hedge, he cut the hedge, and there was a whole load of like hedge clippings in the garden. 
and we were playing tag around the obstacles and we had a table and the hedge clippings and we were just like actually it's really good fun if you have obstacles because we had to jump over them and duck under the table and all this kind of stuff and then we started thinking oh yeah, that's pretty cool because it made it much more intense having these obstacles and then we gradually sort of incorporated more obstacles um, and then we started to go to the meetup and you know, do it in Hyde Park and stuff like that. We sort of were jumping around a bit of the chronology, but yeah, it sort of expanded. Um, we didn't start with the meetups. We started just from doing it in the back garden kind of thing. Yeah. So did you guys play tag a lot as children yourselves? Yeah, as anyone did. But I don't think, for me personally, I don't think um, we, we used to have a just... We used to have a, um, a we, this, I'm old enough, so we had chalkboards and it was always that this cloth that used to get covered in chalk. So we didn't actually tag each other. We used to chuck this cloth that was covered in chalk. So you'd see it show up on the person's shirt. Um, and so that's what we used to play tag. And the next person pick up the cloth and show up the next person. We played tag too. But that, that's my main memory about playing tag at school was this, this dusty cloth, this chalk dusted cloth that we'd throw around the place. Um, I, I, I wasn't like, I it definitely wasn't obsessed with tag, but my son Orlando was, yeah, yeah he's definitely like, he, like when we were playing with him, like that's like what you want to do. And I could see that he was athletic, but he didn't, he didn't do other sports. And I was sort of, I was quite into cricket when I was young. And, um, and then when we came to this country, I was into like, like what you call soccer football yeah. and um and so yeah for me it was but i could definitely see the difference like with him and what was interesting was playing a lot of tag with him now as an adult actually you forget how how fun tag was mm. and so i sort of in a way got more obsessed with tag as an adult yeah, than as with a kid yeah. That's awesome. And then, and then, and then, doing it with what was I found really interesting was when we were doing the Hyde Park meetups with other, uh, other like adults who were not, um, they weren't like, they didn't train park or anything like that. These these were just normal adults that just thought, oh yeah, I'll join a, a chase tag meetup group, yeah, and um, and seeing them, it was always really interesting to see them for the first time, like play tag. Because yeah. they just sort of unlocked this thing. Oh, what? I forgot how fun like tag was. And they had a sort of look on their face that I could identify with. When you see a lot of people come, the first day that they start chasing for the first time, they had this weird look on their face that, that they didn't have in the other weeks once they got used to it again. Yeah, yeah. it's phenomenal games, right? Yeah, yeah. Meeting people of it. But I remember when we first started playing, we would laugh. A lot of time we would stop chasing because we were kind of laughing too much and we couldn't breathe and stuff. There's some weird thing for me, and a lot of people say, have said, we've seen in other people too in the meetups in the early days, is that you just kind of laugh. There's something funny and nervous about being chased. Um, and so I remember distinctly when we'd first do it, sometimes we would just like be laughing the whole time, um, you know which is kind of a weird reaction. You sort of forget. I don't know if it's some kind of Pavlov's dog or something, but yeah, there's a yeah. kind of nervous laughter from being chased. Yeah. That's interesting. I haven't, I haven't noticed that. That's a, that's a, I, wonder, I wonder why that's coming up. But um, I mean, I do think tag tag's a universal game, right? It's played everywhere. Yeah. And it's not just human beings. You know, you yeah. Play tag, deer play tag, horses play mm-hmm. tag. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's fundamental. Predators pursue things that they want to catch and so whether you're a predator or a prey animal you got to play running away and trying same as hide and seek yeah hide and seek and wrestling and fighting play fighting 
chasing and hiding. Yeah. This uh, I always remember like hiding, playing hide and seek when I was young. There's a kind of primal feeling of when someone you're hiding and they haven't seen you and they walk by you. There's a relief that you, that's deep in your bones that, you know, it's a weird kind of like just from years of the, you know, the implications of what that meant getting caught when they walk by you. You're just like, man, it's good. You know, some weird primal thing about it. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, I think of play as sort of evolutions. Um designed for the physical skills that you needed to scaffold up to survive through your evolutionary past, right? Yeah. So if you look at how an animal plays, um, that tells you what kind of animal it is. Right? There's a reason that kittens love to stalk and pounce on things and dogs love to chase and play tug of war. It's like, well, that's how they catch their prey. Yeah. And so human beings love to, you know, do a lot of things, throw things, climb things, but mm. obviously tag is part of it too. Mm. So you you started with these um, these meetups. You just you just posted a meetup. I, I'm curious. That seems like a strange strange idea almost to just be like, um, who wants to yeah. play tag in the park and post a meetup? This was a meetup group, right? Yeah, it, there was a, there's a website I came across called Meetup. Yeah, yeah. and um, and you could create whatever group you want, whatever to meet up. So they had, I don't know, you like coffee? They have coffee meetup. Yeah, like you like to watch movies, they have a movie meetup, you know, you just form whatever group you want and put it up. And then you just put where you're meeting, when you're meeting and what the group does. And then you just post it and then people come. So yeah, we did the first one and then, yeah, we had oh, four or five people show up. And then, um, and then, yeah, we just went from there really. And, and then like, so we started it in the summer and we we had quite a good, you know, the weather was good, luckily, because you can't, if the weather changes, you can't change, you set the date. Oh, I know. And then, you know, it's, it's difficult, awkward to change it, right? So teaching outdoor <laughs> workshops for eight years or something like that. So, well, I've seen the yours. You carry on. Yeah, yeah. you're pretty hardcore. You and change and, and actually, I think them. up by where you are, the weather is very similar to London, you know, like it's, much nicer summers. So that's something people don't know about the Northwest. It's considered a um, uh, cold, uh, wet winter Mediterranean climate or cold winter Mediterranean climate. But um, we average like less than half an inch of rain in June, July, August, and like an inch in September, which you guys are like three times as much in the same period. Yeah. And yeah, we've had nightmare like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. so so you so you're you had good weather that summer. You're giving yeah, me the, we, how many people I, are meeting up with you by the end of the summer? I guess the most we probably had was fifteen, maybe. Okay. And then, um, but then sometimes when you get there, people would join. They'd see well, what's going on with all these people, and then so people would say, "Yeah, come and like join you," because the version that we played then, we were playing it um, like what we call we we did we were going to call that format like embarrassingly ultimate tag right where. <laughs> But that's we'll tell know. that story later. We'll get into the yeah. ultimate tag story a little bit later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so we but I guess like the multiplayer, the more traditional where like the tag status transfers from person to person. Sure. And I really like that that because there are different tactics involved in that. And it's very good. It doesn't expose the differences in in abilities of a group. Yeah. 
So if you're if you don't have the cardio or you're not as quick or that or you're older, you know, there are things that you can do like it to make sure that you're next to someone if you get tagged to pass it on quickly. And you know the tactic track is really yeah. interesting. Do you hang around near people so you can pass it on? Yeah. Or you know, it's it's quite interesting tactics actually for multiplayer. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I, I did like that quite a lot. But then oh, I remember there was one time in particular that was it was around about November. And we organized it. And then um, and I remember being there and it was absolutely pouring out rain. And I was, it was just me and Orlando. Orlando was like maybe 11 at the time, you know. So it's me and this little kid in standing under this umbrella. And he was just pissing down. And I was just thinking, yeah, no one's gonna show up. And then um this uh, Japanese guy, he showed up bang on, you know, the Japanese yeah. are so he was in London, like like eleven o'clock. Boom! He was absolutely there. And then, um, and then this other girl showed up as well. But it carried on raining, so we just thought, okay, let's just play in the rain. And we were slipping and sliding. We got covered in mud, and um, it was it was good fun. But I, I thought, yeah, we need to, you know, we can't do this like every because we were doing it once a month. And then, so I looked around at indoor places. But the problem with indoor places is you have to, like, you didn't have, like, you couldn't just use barrier tape. You had to bring your own obstacles, yeah? So I, um, I, I found some, like, plastic guttering, you know, that you, like, that you make in the house, you know, the, like, pipes. And you could construct things, like, obstacles with the pipes. But you couldn't interact with them in a physical way. You could, do, you could just jump over them and crawl under them. Yeah. Um, and then I had, like, a, an old punch bag and... Uh, like a blow up exercise ball. I just, everything had to fit in the car. So there were all these random weird shaped things that I could just fit in the car and take up to this like cheap place in London that I found. In like a, a five-side football pitch. It was yeah. a five -side, indoor five-side football pitch. And um, yeah, we used to put it up. We used to put it up in there. And then, so we did that for a while. And then, um, and then like Parkour Generations opened up. Yep. And they had proper obstacles bars that you could slot in with big boxes so now you can start vaulting mm -hmm. and then and then each time they had like they had a big like tractor tire and they had like some free weight stuff that had natural bars that you could then so we had a combination of we tie rope like bar, not barrier tape but um cable ties and then they had the boxes and stuff and then that's when that's when the parkour elements started to come in because you know, when we were doing meetups there, first of all, the, the people who were there watching, they were much better than the average people that you're meeting in Hyde Park. Yeah. And so when, when the two worlds sort of met, the average, average Joe kind of dropped off. Sure. And then these young parkour guys were like, you know, because it was a different, it was then, you know, the, the ability was much, much better. Even so, when we were doing that, when we started to go to the five-side football pitch, we really used to take it seriously and really athletic people started to come. So if, if someone was kind of indifferent about it, not that, um, not that athletic or something, we were doing it quite like for the time, for what it was, we were going for it quite a lot. So you'd see people come one time and sometimes it were not, not say that it was intimidating, but if they weren't, um, you know, quite athletic, a lot of time they wouldn't come back. So it was quite, we had a kind of not, and this is where we kind of differ to differ to a lot of sports. We've always sort of taken it quite seriously and we've always tried to have a kind of competitive environment around it and take it really seriously. And I think, um, I think that culture probably started 
quite early on in just like we're going full on. It's very full on and intense. And, um, and it just, each time we came and when we went to parkour generations and more parkour people started to come, it gradually started to get more and more intense, you know? Um, yeah. it was one particular day as well, a guy, um, we were all still taking it quite lightheartedly when we at parkour generations, but there was one day when a guy called Andy Toman came who plays for you, Jen now. And he just came in and he was just like a bull in a china shop, just like totally committed to every single tag. And I remember that day we were going like, okay, it's, it, it suddenly stepped up. Because as soon as someone starts taking seriously, you've all got to kind of follow suit. Yeah. And I remember that you know, there's certain times when suddenly the standard kind of went up, went up. Mm-hmm. And the day that Andy came was definitely one of those days. It's like, okay, everyone has to notch it up a couple of levels now, you know. And he, he would get pissed off like when you got caught and stuff yeah like that you know yeah, yeah. and uh and then also like when we went to chainsaw that's when it, we sort of begin to switch as well mm. from like doing one-on-one right so we started from one tag to one one yeah and then you could yeah it became then it becomes more it becomes more serious then and more like combative it's me yeah. versus you yeah it's it's you know you, you your weaknesses are exposed yeah Mm-hmm. A one-on-one situation. Yes, we play quite a few different tag games within Evolving Play. And it's interesting because in a group tag game, it's actually quite easy to to idle, right? Yeah, yeah. Idle time. The bigger the group is too, it's like, you know, yeah. there's yeah. lots of rest time. But when it's 1v1, like... Yeah, there's no awesome, escape. Right? It's so much harder well, for a parkour athlete. What I find with the group is that um, when you're fresh in a group situation, it's really easy because if someone is tiring and they're getting desperate, like uh, you can always, and there's always someone who doesn't understand the rules properly or not understand the rules, understand the tactics. Yeah. So like, so you can always, if you're about to get tagged, like you would always, you'd purposely get tagged while there's someone yeah. <laughs> in your proximity. So yeah. then as soon as they tag you, you tag them, you tag the next person. Yeah, and, and you know, it took a while for people to catch on to that. And for some reason, that, that was that was because you're older and slower. Yeah, that was my I, you know, I had to use my brain more, right? But sometimes you get caught up, and when you're that person that you just can't tag anyone, mm-hmm. then you're getting more and more tired. This is like a hell situation. But it's interesting as well with the tactics, like um, when you're chasing as well, because one thing we realize with multiplayer is don't switch target. Oh, because yeah. what has happened, you're running after someone and you're starting to get tired, you're not quite catching them. And then you think, okay, I- I'm going to start someone else. You've tired out the other person. You're starting with a fresh person. So you've got less chance. And so we realize after a while, pick someone and just chase them until you get them. And it's weird, like coming back to that evolution thing. I remember hearing things about like sharks that they'll pick one person and they'll just go for that one person. They won't veer off. And maybe there is some weird thing written into our instincts that we learn in nature is that just pick a target and just go for it. Because that was one thing I remember about multiplayer. If you're chasing, pick, pick the weakest person and just go, 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 go. Don't abandon it halfway through and start on someone else, you know? So yeah, that, was my, that was my lesson from that, you know? Yeah, a fundamental problem in like predator behavior is is being able to distinguish which prey they've been going after and keep going after it. Yeah. Um, so like um that's why zebras have stripes, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Stripes stripes yeah. don't don't camouflage a zebra relative to the environment. They camouflage a zebra relative to other zebras. Yeah, so nice. when a predator is going after them, it's easy for them to get confused about which zebra they they've been going after. So yeah, so I was curious how aware 
of parkour were you guys before you started um, kind of uh, interacting with the chain store? We we weren't like aware. We we found parkour yeah. because of um, looking for a place. That's how we found it. Okay. Actually, it's quite interesting that I there's a guy who um, who's worked with us right from the beginning. His name is Marcus Mead. He has a like a website called um, like MMPK, like okay. Marcus Mead Parkour, and um, he he's just a young guy. Like he's maybe now like. 25 or something i actually met him on youtube on a like parkour visions oh park vision like video right <laughs> had a video. there was a video of um like tag you're doing lava tag oh yeah yeah and um and i made a comment on it and then he made a comment on it some like i can't remember what he said something like oh this would be a, make a cool sport and stuff like that <laughs> and so i started to talk to him and then we went offline and i met up with this guy and um and so he like this was at the time when we were doing these meetups and then he took us to uh voxel walls and he did a video of it like of us playing tag around voxel walls and then um and he, he told us about the chain store so wait and it's interesting yeah, yeah. so it's, it's sort of <laughs> so i'm indirectly responsible for you guys uh finding the chain store exactly, yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah oh that's that's a funny story um okay so uh, so there's a couple of questions that 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 are sort of, I guess, more on the on the personal development line, but I I find them interesting. So this really started with your relationship with your son. So I'm curious, is like he's what 18 now? He's 18 in like three days. Three days. July 4th. Yeah. There you go. Well, happy birthday to Orlando. So does has he continued to to maintain an interest in the sport? Is he involved in some way, or how's that? In, uh, well, he yeah, it was that's quite interesting in a way as well because he um. He was just like so into tag, right? Yeah. And then, um, so for if you're into tag, and then you suddenly start playing with all these adults, and then then we had this idea of, um, like, to be honest, I had the idea of doing this like when he was much much younger, but I didn't really do anything about it. And the reason, the timing of when I decided to do something about it was more related to like my work. Right. I was working in hotels, and we had the the financial crisis from two thousand eight. And this, we had like the, the hotel company that I was with was over leverage. We had a lot of difficulties for a few years. So we had very stressful fears. And then um, it resulted in the company I was with got sold and they wanted me to relocate to Croatia where the head office was going to be based. And I didn't want to go. So staying in the UK, I decided like I had to decide what I was going to do. And there were a number of things I was looking into, like management consulting and staying in hotels and one of the things is doing this ridiculous idea of trying to make this thing called chase tag like a sport. And, um, and so, you know, I, I patented a timing system on it. That was the first thing I did more for the multiplayer thing, but then that, and then I came up with the name like chase tag to start. And I thought, okay, well, there's no point having a patent unless you have a sport mm -hmm. to apply it to. And then, all the rules and everything sort of came after that. So the initial concept was more for this like multiplayer ultimate tag um, yeah. kind of thing, you know? And um, so, so when I was doing the meetups, like in my mind, I was, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. And, um, and you know, so it was, it was useful having like, a, like someone like him who's so into it. And then you could see things like that, but from his perspective, 
Um, yeah, we, one of the first things we did was we, um, after we did the meetups and we went into to the, the chain store, we realized it was good as it was, it needed to be, it wasn't quite right for what we had like in our mind. And then Damien joined as well. And we thought, okay, let's, um, we invested in about like 5,000 pounds worth of scaffolding mm-hmm. and we created a quad, our first quad. And the quad that we, the first one we did was actually multiplayer, right? That because that was the first concept. And we had a, a, an absolutely like pivotal moment for us was um, we had we booked two dates in May with separated by three weeks where we booked, we rented a, a venue and we were going to set the quad up there and we needed some athletes to see what it was like. And we, we agreed that the idea is good. Like we like the idea and in our minds, it was amazing, right? But we knew that if it didn't look good, then it was, there was just no hope for it in this day and age where video is so important. And so um, we thought, okay, like there's no point videoing like people like ourselves. We needed to video good quality athletes. And luckily for us, you know, London had like really good athletes. So we ended up, um, we got in contact with Kai Willis. Okay. And um, booked Kai, we said, look, we're looking for about eight athletes. Could you put together eight athletes? He goes, yeah, no problem. And he got four guys from Storm and he got four guys from Stara. And at the time, like Stora were known, I mean, people in Parker obviously knew Stora was, but they probably had, I think at the time they had like under 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. You know? That's seven and, um, Yeah. And um, like my son at the time was, I think he was 11. Yeah. And this is in 2015, in May 2015. Yeah. And, um, and we decided, look, even though we invested a bit in the scaffolding, like if it didn't look good, we were hundred percent. That was, we were, we were gonna, by June, we were not going to be doing chase tag anymore. We would go and get other jobs. Like if it didn't look good. And as soon as they start, I mean, we were lucky that we had storm and so, so we had like for storm, there was um, Pip Anderson, there was blue, um, Ashley Holland and um, Phil Doyle. And then Stora had um, the Toby. Max and bench oh, Max. cave. No, Toby wasn't there. There's Max and Benj, Drew and Josh, yeah, okay. with the four um, star guys. So we had these incredible athletes. And then as soon as we put them on the quad, we told them the rules of what we wanted. And it was just like, oh, this is just like, it was like above our expectation, as you could imagine it would be. Oh, yeah. Like people would probably pay good money to see yeah. that, that sort of people like playing a game of multiplayer tag over these obstacles, you know. Yeah. And we, the, we the quad design well, at, that, at that stage, you know, Sorry? at that stage, you basically moved from something that was like, this is fun, this is something I'm doing for the family to this is, yeah. this is a part yeah, that was the first big commitment. We were doing the meetups for a while, and we just thought we have to make a decision. Where is this going and stuff? Let's just see what it actually looks like, yeah. um, you know, when proper people do it. And that was the kind of ultimatum we sort of set for ourselves. If this didn't look good, we got to quit it. But the, doing that, doing the uh, doing the sort of multiplayer format, we realized that it was, um, it was then that we realized you can easily sort of gang up on one person. Because the final, um, Pip Anderson was doing really, really well in all the preliminary rounds. Yeah. But then for the final, they all ganged up on Pip. So yeah. he didn't end up winning. 
and then someone who just stayed in the background, I think Max um, Benj Cave ended up winning and he sort of stayed in the background. So you realize, yeah, it's a bit flawed. It was also very complicated to do the timing. And if you make a mistake with the timing, because there's so many knock-on effects and it's quite a complicated thing, we thought, let's just make this much simpler. We also realized that the focus of attention as a sport, you need a sort of focus of attention. So we, we thought about it for a while. We knew we wanted to continue doing it, but we thought, yeah, we've got to change the format. So we just thought, okay, let's let's just go for one-on-one chases. Um, and a kind of winner stays on um, thing. And we, we experimented with a few different round lengths and we realized like 20 seconds was kind of the, you know, kind of the best length because if it's any longer, they start to get tired. And if it's any shorter, you're not really going to get that many decent chases. Yeah. Um, so that's when the format kind of developed, you know. Um, after that yeah. and it's interesting as well for me because the 20 seconds how it came about is when i think of if you think of um one of the things you realize is that the chase it, it you need to chase like your life is depending on it right and if you don't it it's diff, it's a different sport completely so if you look at if you look at if you put the tv on and you see a hundred meter race you see some guys just going like that's all that matters yeah it looks more interesting as far as i'm concerned than if you put on a um 1500 meters when yeah Yeah. and then they're jogging and this is becomes tactical so you need to be invested in the sport like one of the best sports is i think the 800 meter race is so tactical it's a really interesting race but it's different it's very different from and so the difference between the 100 and 200 is about the same but 400 is different from 200. And yeah. once you get to 400, they're not running in the same way. And you know, 200 meters is about the limit of what, that's about 20 seconds. I think 20 seconds. You can go all out for 20 seconds, but any longer. If you, and we didn't want, as well, whenever we do an event, we always are very mindful of the winning team who have stayed on the longest. How many chases do they have to do? Yeah. If they start, if they if they know they have to do a lot of chases and they start to conserve energy from the start, it's not going to look good. You want everyone to be able to, when they go into a chase, to be fresh and to be like, I can sprint for the next twenty seconds, and then you're going to get, you know, that's that's what we've always tried to stick to. You know, it has to be a sprint, a full on sprint. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what's going to look good, especially that's what's going to make parkour athletes look good because we can't we can't go longer than twenty seconds. That's probably quite. <laughs> not people can't. It's by by design. We'd want it to not. You know, we don't want it to. You know, it's it's just the perfect length, I think, 20 seconds. Yeah, I, I agree. So uh, we started that line uh, the, with with how this affected Orlando. So I, I was curious. Um, yeah, so... Was so professional? Yeah, what was interesting, like I'm sort of mer- merging two stories in one, but I'm conscious of what you're saying. So I'll try and say the two things at once. Yeah. So, yeah, so what happened after that? So he was very lucky in the sense that he, his idol wasn't David Beckham or yeah. any... His idol was like... At, at the time, people like Kyle and Phil Doyle and stuff, you know, he was then in a room watching these guys. Like, he was just sort of almost training with them, yeah? yeah. And so, and I, I know parkour doesn't have, you know, you get to meet the, the guys you're training with or something like that, you know? But um, so he, he he was, like, meeting these people. And then um, when we, we carried on with the meetups in the chain store, what we found was it was interesting observing Orlando because he was, he sort of transitioned like he found parkour and then went into that and started to become sort of slightly less interested in chase tag, right? So when we would have the meetups, we we decided to do this one-on-one. What we had was we had this um, 
anyone could just play. You just join a line, like whenever you wanted to come. Yeah. And it was winner stays on. So you, you stay on for as long as you can. It's 20 seconds and then winner stays on, you know. So we used to keep score of the, the old meetups, like to see, you know, who'd get the motivation and stuff like that. And so we put it online just for a bit of fun. But what we found was particularly with Orlando, he would do his chase and he would stay on if he got an evasion or whatever. But as soon as it was finished, he would go off and do parkour again. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, there was still the setup at the back. And then we found other people starting to do that as well. And what that meant was when you are, if you're trying to create an atmosphere, if the only two people who had a vested interest in the chase was the chaser and the evader, then you kind of lost the atmosphere. Yeah. Right? And we find that the meetups were getting a little bit dead because people would do parkour and then they'd come and chase for a bit. And then, oh yeah, look, someone's tried this challenge there. And then, you know, they'd be like, a, no one would chase for like five or 10 minutes and then they'd come up. And it was this toing and froing. It was just like, no, this is, it's not happening, right? Mm -hmm. So um, actually Damon was saying like, actually let's get teams, yeah? And as soon as you put on the team, then that changed everything. Because now the whole team has a vested interest in what's happened. And essentially, so I guess Lando kind of had, he affected that team by his lack of interest in chase thing. He affected the, um, the team thing, you know? Um, and then once we did the team thing, we realized that's definitely the way to go. And then we realized that things like a lot of parkour people train and a lot of extreme sports in general, they train as a team but they compete as individuals. So I liked the idea of, from a business point of view, with sponsorship, I liked the idea of, are you a sponsor? Who's the best? Show me the best guy. I want to know who's the best. There's sometimes this desire in finding out who's the best, right? And so a team, I wasn't that keen on the team because it didn't answer this question. But actually, when you saw the team dynamic work, I really, you know, the team was definitely the way to go, you know. And um, and then so we decided, yeah, that would be the format that we would go. And we did we did our first event. Um, we did a test shoot. So I'll talk about that in a second. But just going back to Orlando, what was interesting with him, he did that first event. And then he kind of drifted off. And, you know, I didn't, like, he was, like, young. So, like, he's, like, 12 when we did the first song. I, I For me, I always take the approach with parenthood is kind of, um, you know, you try and encourage your kids in a few things or you spot like maybe what they want to do and you try and encourage that, but they have to do things of their own accord. And, um, and he, he just went into parkour in a big way. You know, he started like one team with just friends from school, but friends from school that aren't really into parkour, <laughs> you're never going to go somewhere, you know? So he then um, started another um, group with, um, with a guy called Owen and Arthur. And then um and then eventually that group stopped. And then he joined um him and Arthur joined his other because they were always trained with these other guys like Abdullah and Klaus from I, Fat. Wait, wait, wait. And I then, had so no they, idea they Orlando came. from Team Fat is your son. That's your son? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're gonna put up some yeah, yeah. He's, he's an amazing parkour athlete. Yeah, that, yeah, congrats. That's awesome. Yeah. So he's pretty much just full in parkour. That's his his passion. That's where he's at right now. Yeah, yeah. But then, then so we did we did like going like fast forward. We done like so he did that first event, and then he kind of like the fat guys have their own like kind of philosophy and attitude, you know. Mm -hmm. And they're not you can't 
the fat guy kind of do what they do. You can't stare them. You can't stare. We were they're trying not, to encourage them. Not long terrible. Time. Yeah, yeah, they're not terrible. We were trying yeah. to encourage them for a long time to you know sort of compete in chase tag and stuff like that, and they weren't really that interested. But um, but recently, I don't know what the final sort of straw was, but over the last year or so, um, they've they've sort of piqued their interest a bit. So they've been training a lot since lockdown. We've put the quad in the back garden, so um, we were doing a lot of chasing. It's been up there for about a year now. And so um, we started to do a lot of chasing with Lando and now the fat guys, they kind of, well, Abdullah and Klaus kind of spend a lot of time here now because they're editing. So they do a lot of training in the quad and I think they're really keen to compete now. Um, and we actually had a, um, an event in the back garden. We actually had an event in the back garden recently. Um, we call it Backyard Flight Club, organized by one of the guys from Herrera Gang, Greg. And um, it was with a whole lot of UK athletes because... We hadn't had a European event for a while. They're all in America. So Greg was very keen on just getting something for UK athletes. So we organized this backyard flight club. We had some really good athletes. Um, like Luke Stones was there. Uh, we had guys from a Marrero gang, from UGen. Um, so we had some really good athletes. And um, and kind of awkwardly, Orlando ended up winning. So he he's just, he won a, a thousand pound prize money. So I, I've been away for the last month down in Brighton. I just came back. I realized every single penny has been spanked on a new computer. He's got a brand shiny new computer. Okay, so all of his prize money has now been spent and they're editing their new video on it. So yeah, he's kind of had a full circle of kind of, you know, being interested in story though, right? Because you, you followed this passion of your child, which then like gives birth to a sport, but then he loses interest in that sport. Yeah. And comes to the sport that's sort of like there's this interesting interaction between chase tag and parkour, right? And then yeah. he ends up in parkour, and now maybe, maybe you know, dib, dabbling his toes back in. But I think that's a beautiful just thing about about parenting and being open to your interest, your kids. Like my son, my son's six years old. He'll be seven in August, and uh, there's a parkour park in our in our local town, and um, and so I've been taking him up to the parkour park. But there's also a pump track, bike pump track next to it. And so he's now completely lost interest in the parkour park and he spends all his time on the bike pump track. So I'm over there trying to train parkour and my son's over there on the bike pump track. And it's just like, well, he's still learning movement, man. He's still developing yeah, yeah. confidence and fun and developing friendships. It's like, it's great. Right? And he does. There's, all there's also something about what your dad does. Is uh, is intrinsically uncool. <laughs> so it's like I think Lando moving away from Chase Tag was yeah. just like intrinsically like my dad is trying to do that as a business. What an idiot! You know, I don't want anything to do with that. You know? So I think it was yeah. awesome. So I'm curious also like since you guys have interacted with parkour, have have you guys started training with parkour as well? Or like what does your training look like? How is how has this affected your own personal practice in movement? I practice. I'm, I practice. An embarrassing large amount for what I can actually do. I mean, I've always done like I always sort of did martial arts. It varies other sports, but martial arts was the only thing that I did consistently throughout my sort of life. And now I um, I do parkour training, but I leave it for a while, and I I just I come back and I'm still terrible. But I train a lot. I'm still shit. I don't know why. I'm 46, so it's a bit hard as you get older and stuff. But I'm getting there. I'm getting there slowly but surely. You know. So I actually train quite a lot. Well, you know, I don't do much else now, but I'm still terrible. You know. How are you, Christian? Yeah, it's similar. But I would. Um, my training is more. It's like a combination. Like, so we have some of the equipment up there. So yeah, I might. 
like and it, and it's sort of more specific to like chase tag than it is parkour mm-hmm. Me too. but i do i do i do a bit of balancing training if you want to call that parkour like as such i sure. quite like like some of that and then some sometimes like some low like precision like jumps from like a tire to uh, like a bar something like this you know um but it's mainly i've mainly if i do sort of train like on the quad it would be chase tag specific so i would practice like some crawls and some vaults that i would use on the quad something like that you know so do you do you most of that practice alone or do you uh try to get a lot of one-on-one type practice in during lockdown we i mean most of the time we train individually but during lockdown there was a spell when um we were we were really busy organizing we had a whole lot of events lined up like three events that year lined up which was going to be really hectic and then corona started to kick off and we gradually realized uh, none you know none of it's going to happen and then we went into lockdown and so there was a lot of stress leading into that so when lockdown came we suddenly realized actually we've got nothing to do um for the next little while we didn't know how long for so we, um, for the first time, we didn't realize we could set up the whole quad in the garden. Usually we have a border on the outside. Yeah. Um, but we, re- we thought, well, if we take off the border, maybe we can fit the whole thing. And it, it's actually, it fits perfectly. And since we set up on that first day of lockdown, it's been there ever since. We haven't taken it down. So for the first six months, we, every day we used to do one on, we used to do chases, you know, in the evening when it cooled down a bit. We used to go out there every day and do training. Um, and so we really improved a lot over that time on, you know, for Chase Tag. Um, and I think that's what maybe rekindled Lando's enthusiasm in it as well, you know. Um, but we were chasing every day. I can turn the computer on it. Do you want to have a see it? Sure. Sure. To show us what it is. You see that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's got no border on it. Yeah. And um, it's not quite like like the real thing because there's some places that there's the hedge is growing into the quad. So you actually have a little bit more room at the back. And then in the corner at the front line by the lazy boy, there's a piece of concrete that sticks out. So yeah, it's a bit of an ankle killer. But so, apart from it, it gives you the basic idea, you know. So obviously parkour has had a big influence in kind of the development of chase tag and, and most of the athletes who are competing are parkour athletes. But I'm curious if there are other kind of um, athletes who, who come in and done well in chase tag and then also if you've noticed that parkour athletes with specific other sport backgrounds do well in chase tag a lot of the athletes do well do have a second sport but i don't see any pattern with what that second sport is like davis vasconcellos did a lot of track and field there's other people that have done like rugby or soccer football um like yeah and probably i don't think there's any one of the most dominant people that i've seen on the court is kyle soderman who is part of Hollywood Freerunner. Yeah. And he does like, he's a very like well-rounded movement athlete in the sense that he does like ninja warrior training. Sure. And he does, he does um, mountain biking to a very high level. So, so, does, so, so does that gives things. him a lot of power in his legs. And it also gives him crazy um, cardio. He yeah. was just able to go on and on and on. It was unbelievable yeah. the number of chases he did. But yeah, there's no pattern. What we found literally from the start of when we don't chase like even in the meetups is that some people they may look athletic or not athletic but some people just have a certain thing that they just get it. mm-hmm. it's really weird yeah. as soon as you see them you realize okay yeah he gets it and yeah. some people just don't get it what what's mark bowles background in yeah i don't know uh, his background yeah mark bowles is one of those people that are just like okay yeah he just gets it he just yeah. totally and utterly gets it 
And it's a really weird, um, it's a really weird thing that, and then some athletes you think, oh, I can't wait to see this guy chase. And then he just doesn't seem to pay attention to the opponent or he doesn't know how to mm. juke them or something like that. It's, it's really interesting. And, and I'm, I'm just sort of saying Mark Ball is interesting because he, you know, when you, um, if you look at another athlete, like say, like Luciano from Fireborough, Luciano looks like an, a total elite athlete, yeah, physically. And he moves in a weird way from like, I think he's come from a wrestling background. Yeah. Um, and so you'd say, yeah, that's what like an elite athlete is going to be. Mark Bowles, <laughs> sorry, Mark, if, yeah. but Mark doesn't look the same, right? So it's deceptive. But then Mark can move like lightning yeah. when he needs He's explosive. To. And his timing mm. is so exactly precise. He can read you like he knows, like a book. He knows exactly when someone's mm. going to move or when they're going to not move. And it's a, you know, mm. and some people just have the ability to read body language and make the right decisions. He just never made any wrong decisions. It was really bizarre. So some people just get it. And he was one, he was a good example of someone who just got it. It's really bizarre. He just got all the timing and the decision making. He just very rarely made any mistakes, you know? And yeah. so that, that I think trumps any other thing about what their second sport is or what experience they've had from before. Um, but like you're saying, come back to your original point. Yes, most athletes are parkour athletes, but this time we do have, um, the only person I can think of offhand is a one guy in the team, um, Team Rowdy, that competing in the, this um, upcoming WCT USA and called David Payne. And he was a, um, an Olympic silver medalist hurdler, 110 meter hurdler. And so it'd be really interesting to see, obviously he's an elite athlete, um, it'd be really interesting to see how he does. Um, I don't know if he's going to try and get parkour experience before the event um, or try and get some tips or anything like that, but he's done Ninja Warrior too. So he, he knows a bit about obstacles and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be really interesting. You know, I would say he doesn't have a parkour background. As such. Yeah. It's interesting because he'll probably be substantially faster than anybody else. Mm. Like, I don't know if you guys have run tests on this, but my perception is parkour athletes are not particularly fast of foot relative to their jumping power um, because yeah. we generally don't run very long distances and reach maximal velocities. So when um, Justin Sweeney, who uh, was on uh, Hollywood Free Runners, uh, the last uh, championships, he was one of my students and we trained um, uh, together a lot. We did a, a, a series of um, training with a lead track team in Seattle. And at the time, Justin was doing about a 10 foot standing broad jump, um, like probably 32 inch vertical, which, you know, those are like the, the type of numbers that you would see in SA, like a pretty good NFL wideout, right? But when we showed up to train, we ran about a 13 second hundred, which is like a 5.140. Um, and we were getting beat by the 14 year old girls on the track team. <laughs> Straight up. Now, wow. The speed potential was there because within 11 weeks, you know, we took a full second off of our hundreds uh, and were, you know, went to basically being able to, you know, uh, my, my proudest moment was I beat the slowest guy on their 400 meter team um, <laughs> in a 60 yard dash. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so, so we got there. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so a, a hurdler is going to come in with like a massive speed reserve relative to most parkour athletes. There's probably a few parkour athletes who, who are just super fast by nature, like have trained that a little bit more, but that'll be interesting to see. But then you're not going to get that fast on the quad. Like I don't, I don't yeah. Have the yeah. You can't run more than probably, there's probably four meters. Yeah. 
you could probably. So they doubt they're hitting even 15 per hour, yeah. but you can get there faster when you're an athlete like that. Mm-hmm. And you're going to feel more comfortable moving at that speed if you're comfortable with the obstacles too. Yeah. 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 And that's going to be like a crucial thing because parkour athletes are confident that they could save yeah. themselves if something goes wrong or something. So they, they, they're confident to just give it their all with obstacles around. And yeah. I don't know how intimidating that's going to be to someone who is just not used to that. You know, like everything is so soft. The track is soft, relatively speaking. You know, it's not concrete. Um, the, the hurdles, when you hit them, they fall yeah. down. You yeah. Know? They're not made of, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you're, you know. Oh, I know. Um, uh, there, last year, you guys had a guy named, I think it was Sarit from APK. Who was a CrossFit athlete who'd done some parkour Sarin. and stuff? Huh? Sarin. Sarin, yeah. 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 He was killing it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he was pretty intense. I so, think he, he st- sorry to interrupt. He yeah. stopped now. I think it's interesting when people have, um, when people aren't adaptable to the quad, because I think someone like Sarin, he did very well at the beginning, but I think a few people sussed him out and gave him a hard time later on. So if you're adaptable with roots, someone like Davis Vasconcelos, I think he can adapt his route very easily. Even Kyle was quite limited with the routes he took. Yeah. I don't want to sort of, you know, take away what he did, obviously, but his route setting was quite limited. So Davis, it was really interesting. I found the two matches they played together, um, GNF and um, Hollywood Freedom, was really interesting because Kyle, whenever Kyle went out in the second match, Davis would always go out and he had a really hard time against Davis. He never did well against Davis. And so I think where the parkour comes in really handy is you're able to adapt your route. If people start to suss you out, if you don't do parkour and you have a limited route, people will gradually suss it out. Yeah, yeah. And then you're kind of trapped. You're, you have you're limited. more options and you can be more adaptable. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So like for me, this is interesting because I'm like an old school parkour purist, right? Like um, I started parkour in 2005. And like, I found my way to parkour.net, which was like the, the purest forum, right? All the, all the free runners were over on urban free flow. I don't know if you guys are aware of all this history, <laughs> but um, um, we were trying to figure out what parkour was because in the speaking world, we really didn't um, have that much clarity on what it was. And we had this idea that it was about being able to reach or escape. Mm. And I had a martial arts background. Okay. So I was like, in, you don't learn to fight by practicing fighting moves. You learn to fight by having fights, right? They have to be limited in some way to make them safe, but you have to actually have somebody who's trying to hit you back. And so I, I got interested in this early on. Did you guys ever see um, Teg Matthews Palmer's rage fooling video, videos? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Jimmy the Giant made a video about it recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those were those were really inspirational to me. So I I uh, I would already kind of been think, thinking about that because of my martial arts background. And then I sort of took those things and started incorporating them. And also, um, the first time that I met Parkour Generations was at um, the first American Rendezvous, which was in Ohio. And uh, Kazuma, who was one of David Bell's main students, was there. Stefan Vigro was there as well. But Kazuma organized a game of tag um, in a giant castle park. And so we had this big game of tag there with this huge group of, of parkour athletes. We'd all, like in the States, most of us had only been training for about two years. And there was an interesting wrinkle to that. I think we played one round where it was like tap tag. 
And I did pretty well in that round, but then they made it tackle tag. Okay. And so they had, and so I'm, I'm at the time I was like, you know, just under hundred kilos and most parkour athletes are like 75 kilos, right? <laughs> 70 kilos. But I was, you know, comparably fast and explosive to most of the athletes there. And, uh, nobody could take me down. Right. <laughs> so it ended up being me and Kazuma at the end, because, uh, what Kazuma did was he just climbed to the top of the castle park where nobody else would go and jump from one side of it to the other. Right. <laughs> nobody would, could follow him on the jumps at height. So it was Kazuma at height and then me down low, just stiff arming people and, and juking them out. So I've had an interest in this since, um, you know, since 2006, 2007, at least, you know, I think about the idea of the, the development of the generalist athlete. It's like, I think parkour athletes are really exceptional athletes and there's something amazing in how fast extraordinarily high skills have developed in parkour. Mm -hmm. There's a few really missing pieces of what a parkour athlete can do. One is they don't have cardio, right? And like uh, Justin, who I mentioned, like he came back and was like, God, that was so much cardio, right? Like running 20 seconds and then having to do it again. It's brutal, right? Repeat sprint effort is not something that's happening in the parkour community. And you can see it like um, one of the, one of the dynamics that Justin pointed out was, so there's two teams from Colorado who are there, uh, Tryhard Collective and Apex, right? Did Apex mm -hmm. have two teams even? Not this time. They will do it this next event, but at the last event, there's only one. Okay. So Apex straight murked everybody. <laughs> Um, Triard Collective is all kids who trained out of Apex at one point and all like, and they're, they're comparably skilled at, at the, the specific skills. Like if you want to do a single running jump, you know, it's not that much difference between the Apex guys and the, uh, the Triard guys and the Triard guys are probably better acrobats, mm. but the Apex guys do, do time trials every mm. week. Mm. And to me, watching the Apex guys play against everybody else was like watching a college team play high school teams at basketball. Mm -hmm. or on another and, well, one thing that really, like, we were really interested from the start to see how Apex were going to do. And because of what you're saying about the speed, it's just all about speed. Yeah. But one thing that I found very interesting, just to show the level of kind of, Right at the end, we haven't spoken to Amos much at all, but right, right at the end, just when he was saying goodbye to everyone on the, the morning after the event, we started to talk to Amos about, we have kind of metrics we use to how we measure the quad, like EQ and how we design the quad. And we started to get into a bit of a discussion about that and, um, and, and what the evasion rate was for the whole event and all this, and the average chase rate and stuff. And Amos was like, he, he found it very interesting what we were saying. And then he goes, okay, you might find this interesting. And he took out this folder and he just opened up page after page after page of just stats. And it was just like, man, so they practice speed, but also I think they're really prepared on every level about what they were going to expect. He had stats that we hadn't even thought about, like about where people got tagged and and um, which obstacle, like if they got tagged by the Tilted Cube, which obstacle had they just come from? And he had all kind of filters about like, okay, is this information going to be useful? Okay, well, what if we only use players that are coming from this direction? And then let's look at that. And all like how long each chase lasted and just stat after stat, pages of it, pages of it. And I was like, okay, they might have just, you know, traditionally just concentrated on speed, but they were totally prepared for every eventuality. 
Yeah. Do you know, nothing surprised and, them on the day. And and Amos, I think Amos did two or three chases. Two, and he I, did, and he, I know he did the last one, and I remember him doing one other. I don't know if he did three or two, but he was there as manager, like looking. Okay, this guy, I'm putting this guy against that guy. You know, mm-hmm. was uh, other teams just lined up one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, one goes out now, two goes out now. You know. And and absolutely, he wasn't doing that. You know, it was all planned and calculated. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, Amos is another martial artist, right? Um, yeah. With a with a background, and Amos and I have been friends for a long time, and have kind of like evolved in very interestingly similar directions in the way we think about movement. But so I, I, I brought the term aliveness into parkour from martial arts, right? So a dead martial art is something that just practices forms and kata, right? And a live martial art is something where you have to do with deal with somebody else's energy, timing, and rhythm. Mm-hmm. And I got that from uh, from Matt Thornton from Straight Blast Gym. And you know that terminology aliveness really shows up in the Dao uh, Dao Ji Kune Dao by by Bruce Lee. So, but um, Amos comes from from Aikido and other martial arts, and he uses the term randori, but it's the same basic term. And Amos was experimenting with like you know. <laughs> Ask him about getting chased by security. His story about getting chased by security. You can watch my my podcast with him. He tells the story. He doesn't like to talk about it too much publicly, but he he put himself in situations where he got chased intentionally <laughs> in order to figure out like what was really working. Yeah, that's interesting. That's the thing. Yeah, it is. That's that's yeah. right. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me it at all. Goes, it does. Yeah, it goes deep. 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 <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. So so one of the things that parkour athletes lack is is cardio like we mentioned the other one is change of direction and specifically uh an an, an improvisational ability right so generally parkour is preset lines so you you think i'm going to do a kong de pre to lache pre to front flip something like that and then you do that and either successful you're unsuccessful but if you're unsuccessful you stop the line and go back and do it again right Mm -hmm. until you get it just right um, so there's no improvisation there, but when you're in something like world chase tag, you don't get to stop because you, you, you messed up the con, a double con, right? You have to be adaptive in the moment. I don't know if you're going to come onto this, but I think the biggest, the biggest thing that's that non parkour people have never had to, I mean, sorry, parkour people have never had to deal with before, unless they've had another sport is keeping your eye on the opponent. Yep. To me, that's the biggest thing. Because a lot of people, um, especially not so much now, but when we sort of started to have parkour athletes, when they were evading, they would just do a run. It was yeah. like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to do a run. And they would have no idea. You still see it now. Every now and again, you you, you watch videos and you think, I, 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 you know, everyone is guilty of it to a certain extent, but you just, you do something, and you make a terrible decision. It's just because you're not looking, you don't have, you don't have any thought about where your, your chaser is. Yeah. So keeping your eye on your opponent is something that. I don't think there'd be any reason for any parkour person to have that embedded into them. You know, other sports, there's a reason to have that. But I think chase tag, that's one of the most important elements, you know, keeping your eyes on your opponent and knowing exactly where they are. Situational awareness and uh, visual flow. Like one thing is actually where your eyes are or where your focus is visually has a huge impact on your motor control as you're moving over an object. So it's actually a, a big change in the way that you're managing motor control to have to to have to attend to something in your periphery. Yeah. But I've seen it. I've seen it on some of the footage going back. It's really interesting going through the footage 
um, in sort of slow motion. When you, you know editing, you really get to see all the little bits of footage. And it's really interesting sometimes you notice like some people doing things like striding over the sisters and mid stride, looking back at their opponent, mm-hmm. you know, doing these crazy, crazy things and just looking back, looking back at them. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that takes a lot of kind of confidence in what you're doing and sort of adaptive ability to be able to just, you know, my legs are fine. I'll be fine. I'm going to turn my back and look where the other guy is. That's, you know, that takes awareness too, right? It's, it's about knowing where within your movement you have the opportunity mm-hmm. to take a moment to look. Mm-hmm. Right? But I, I noticed when I was watching World Chase Tag that you'd see some very skilled parkour athletes, really top level guys who are super powerful and fast, and they get caught because they actually got too far ahead and lost their awareness of where they were on the clock. Yeah, so they yeah. Have a, they'd, they'd see a line and that line would allow them to get away from someone and it succeed to the point where they were really far away from them. And then they wouldn't know where to go and they wouldn't mm-hmm. be aware of where their opponent was in space. And then they'd, they'd not have the next sequence set up and then they get caught mm-hmm. while they were kind of trying to, 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 to adapt to the fact like, where is that guy? Mm-hmm. If you're too close, if someone is too far away from you, you can't juke yeah. or anything like that. So it's, it's a really weird balance. There's actually, it's actually quite good to have someone quite close to you, mm-hmm. you know, just within that kind of window. I mean, what, one thing we realized from playing in the garden is that, um, you know, and day in, day out playing in the garden is that you sort of think you've got it figured out and you think, okay, this is the tactic I should employ, stay far away from them. And then you realize actually there's, there's, there's disadvantages and advantages to both. There's no one, you know, it's like, that's what's interesting about, like, I find mixed martial arts is that it's like a big game of rock, paper, scissors, certain techniques, you know, do other thing and nothing, there's no perfect style. It's just a combination of how you, you know, being adaptive to be able to use all the styles. And I find the same thing with chase tag. So many times we thought, because we're always trying to figure out the floor of chase tag. What are we designing? Okay. Or the floor of a court. Is there going to be a certain tactic that just kills the game and that you can always win if you use this simple tactic, but it's quite nice. What we've realized so far is that there is no one skill. Yeah. Every skill has a weakness. You know, there's always some weakness. And, and I think one of the main things is, is if you're, if you're too predictable, you've got to be unpredictable. So you should stay far away sometimes, but then stay close other times, just be unpredictable. That's one of the things, you know, um, so fortunately we found so far. Yeah. It's, it's a constantly fluid thing. There's no one thing that you can um, do to kind of win all the matches kind of thing. Yeah, and I found that really interesting. Like when, because when we had the quad, we when we didn't think our garden could fit the quad because we always used to put up with the border, so we were only able to put up a quarter of the quad at a time. Mm-hmm. So we designed it on paper, but we never had it in the in the garden. So the only time we put up was when we had an event, and when we have an event, we could never play on it because all the athletes want to train on it, right? Yeah. So we, it's as weird as it sounds, we never played on the quad until lockdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when we did play on it a lot, then all of a sudden you realize actually yeah, there's a lot of stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so we always think about like, how much does the quad need to change? And I'm not sure if you're aware of, you might've heard people talk about like EQ. Yeah. Um, EQ stands for evasion quality. It was, we were working um, a few years ago, there was a guy, Actually, that we met through Tig. You mentioned Tig, but um, Tig helped us out quite a lot at the beginning because um, when we were struggling, when we did that team concept, 
Um, like I asked Tig, because we did some training, Tig saw a video that I put called like Make Running Fun, which is me following Orlando, like just through like an abandoned zoo in Croatia and stuff. And he, we met him, we we met on YouTube like that. And then um, he invited us to come train with him. And um, so we got to know him quite well. And then I asked him for this favor to come and do this team thing and he'd hurt his finger and um, he didn't want to do it, but a few other people had dropped out. So like we were so desperate that we said to take look can you uh help us i'll do anything you need and he was doing his flat so we agreed he agreed to do this test thing for us and then me and damon had to pay him back by working like a day each in his um flat helping him cement and stuff like that but um he at the same time he was building his flat he um another friend of him called jason matten um he heard about what we were doing and he got contact us he did the commentary at the star chaser nice. and he some of the obstacles that we have were actually his names he named the obstacles i think he loading bay tilted cube i think the sisters front line and the front line yeah and he came up with this with this concept of eq which is evasion quality and basically the higher the eq the the it favors the evader yeah. and the lower the eq um, favors the chase up. So like just no obstacles would be like theoretically zero EQ. You know? yeah, yeah. But EQ is a very important concept for us because to get the balance right, right? Mm-hmm. And um, because we know that like the quad is like expensive to like put together and we the, the events are even more expensive, we don't really want to experiment with a new quad at an event that costs a lot of money to put on. Yeah. And then the court doesn't play well and then the vent looks shit and then you know we're still we're still so much in our um like beginning phase that like one a bad event people could go oh yeah i, I knew tag was was rubbish like what are we doing you know so so that's why like it's really important for us but i think the way the court is now maybe we'll we'll do some minor changes to it but for us it was very nice to see this quad being able to play this cat, cat and mouse game where it was constantly, as soon as you figure out something as an evader, the chaser figures out, oh, that's what you're doing as a chaser. And so it's, it's ever-changing. So in a way, the quad is just, it's, it's like, a, like a chessboard in the chess pieces. That said, it's now up to you how you utilize those pieces. Like a lot, a lot of part, one of the things that parkour people say a lot is that the quad should always change because you're testing your adaptive ability, mm-hmm. you know, how you adapt to the quad. And we've always thought, no, really, it has nothing to do with the quad. It's you and your opponent. You shouldn't be adapting to the quad. You should each have a certain strategy and you're adapting to your opponent. That's what it should be. The quad, in a, in a kind of a weird way, shouldn't come into it. Um, and that's why we've kind of chosen to stick with the same quad for now. There's other reasons too, just practicality reasons why why we can't change the design the whole time. But I think that that was an interesting thing that that and that comes from parkour is the the sort of desire to have an to adapt to the quad. You should be adapting to the opponent. That's that's kind of what we've kind of learned from that. You know, the conclusion we kind of came from that. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. I, I definitely love the idea of of having variable courses right i understand the logistics of not having it from a parkour athlete perspective you want to be able to adapt to both right what we probably do in the future when we have more money is to be able to have 
the standard quad and then have separate competitions where it is adaptive. But it takes quite a long time to design a quad and test out properly. So, and we don't have that at all now. If we had a separate warehouse, we would try out totally different designs and have totally different design competitions and stuff. But yeah, I think the idea of having now to scaffold up is makes great sense, right? But like we used to have this dis- discussion, right? like in the early days of parkour, the idea of competition was really controversial, right? Mm. Um, I don't know. Have you guys run into that at all? Has anyone? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. On the start, we, we, yeah, we, because uh, we, we always, we sort of, the, we always sort of really liked the UFC and all came from a martial arts background. And obviously martial arts is so ultra competitive. Yeah. So we were like, okay, yeah, you know, like, Iron sharpens iron. We to see, and our tagline is oh, not a tagline. Our mission statement is that we want to see the best people chase. Yeah. Competition brings out the best in people, and so we wanted to create a very competitive environment. So people have to push it, push it, push it. So they're at the pinnacle of what they could possibly be, and so competition was always really embedded into what we're trying to do. And so when we started to do, you know, sort of merge in a bit more with sort of parkour athletes we really noticed from the start there was a big resistance to sort of competitive stuff. Yeah, Not really big resistance. I, well, but the thing is, I, one thing I'd say is important for us, like when, we, when you talk about that, of competition in parkour, right from the start, um, and one of the first persons that I contacted, like when we were looking, before I got uh, Kai Willis, I, um, I, I just, from doing searches, I talked to, like Scott Bass from Ampersand. Yeah, yeah. And I talked to Dan Edwards, right, to see, like, what can I put together? Like, can you get some athletes? Yeah. And um, I can't remember, like, how it came about, but Kyle, Kyle was really, like, super, like, efficient and he just did it. But we asked the same question about competition. How would they feel about competition? And, like, probably, um, like, I remember Kyle saying that, actually, oh, no, all the guys who I'm going to get, they're, they're very competitive. <laughs> so there's no issue with any of them. And the fact that he was getting it from two separate teams, it increased the competition almost, yeah. Um, and then, but Scott and Dan said very similar things. And I remember specifically the conversation with Dan. And Dan was saying, well, you're not asking us to do parkour. You're asking us to do chase them. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any issue with, it's like, if you ask me to play tennis, I'll play tennis, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so they didn't, the fact that they didn't see it as parkour, mm. it was like, yeah, no problem. Now us doing, or, or parkour generations teaching tag, doing a tag class, this might be a different story because it's now parkour generations doing it, but just hiring some guys to play another sport, this is absolutely not, not an issue. Um, so, so anyways, um, you know, there's all that discussion in the parkour community back in the day. And, and you know, I, I thought a lot about it. And what, what I what I noticed is that, like, we've talked a lot about martial arts, right? So there are martial arts that are competitive and there are martial arts that are not competitive. Well, one thing is that martial arts that are not competitive frequently become disconnected from reality. Mm-hmm. Right? They're just, they're just sort of practicing these forms and thinking that they'll have some effect on you fighting and the forms become more and more exaggerated and less and less connected to reality. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side though, you have these competitive formats that end up well, every competitive, every competitive format is in some sense better than not having a competitive format almost because you actually have a real test of your skill, but they all entrain habits that aren't applicable in a different context. 
And so the, the rules are always limiting in some way. So, you know, um, you see Taekwondo guys come into say MMA and they just don't know what it's like to be taken down. They're easy to take down or, you know, they're, they're not, they're, they have their hands down and they're not used to someone actually targeting their head. Kyokushin fighters come in and get punched in the face and are, are surprised by it. Um, you know, if you take a, if you take a wrestler into a jiu-jitsu match, you know, and somebody arm bars him from guard, it's going to be completely surprising to him because you're not supposed to be able to tack off your back. Mm -hmm. So what I notice is that the competitive formats, they, they can take over the discipline that they're associated with, and then they can close people's awareness of these other aspects of the discipline. It's like Taekwondo doesn't have to be just Olympic Taekwondo, right? It, all that, there's tons of stuff in Taekwondo that was there that went away. Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu used to teach striking and striking evasion and how to set up takedowns from someone trying to strike you because it was oriented towards self-defense. But now everybody trains for the IBJJF like rules. And so you're never, you're not going to go into a, a BJJ class unless it's a basis class and have to deal with someone striking you in order to get to your grappling range. Right. Um, so this is, this is what I think about in reference to like, I think world chase tag is a really it's, it's nice that it's separated conceptually from parkour. It's like it can sit nicely within a sort of ecology of parkour related competitions. But like just from my perspective, I think if we want to bring the best out of parkour, it would be cool to have a variety of games or, or, or formats that can bring out more aspects of it. Like I was thinking about it in reference to this conversation. There's no swinging in Chase Tech. Yeah, but I think. I don't. I don't think. Uh, like, I think it's too different. I don't think we're taking. I. Um, I know. I. I think. Look, from our. I understand. What you're saying, and I heard. I heard a podcast. I think it was maybe your podcast. Yeah. And um, and someone. I think it was Rene. Rene Stevenson. Yeah. And I. I. I really feel his pain, right? Because if he doesn't. If he doesn't like Chase Tag. Yeah. And then all the kids are coming up to him and saying, oh, teach me chase tag. It's just like, oh, oh. you know, <laughs> I, I totally get it. And from being where you're trying to do something, I get what, you know, you're focused in on something. And it, it, if anything distracts, it's just such, you know, especially when you've put so much years of effort and something in, in into like trying to hone what you're doing, right? But from our point of view, we do what we do. And we, like, I don't know if I've, I, I have a lot of notes that I put on the side of my desk here of like inspiration things. And this is not particularly inspirational to anyone outside me and Damien, but very early on, like this is when we were doing the Storm Stara like test shoot, we came up with this idea of like a mission statement. And our mission statement was, you know, what are we trying to do with the business? And we came up with, we want to see the best people chase. Mm -hmm. And for us, it, for everyone else, it might be rubbish. But for us, that has been so, so, so useful because anytime we're faced with a decision about, oh, yeah, put trampolines, they bing and they go flying <laughs> to the air and they do like, like you know, <laughs> like it's, you know, or make it higher and bigger and far, longer mm -hmm. and like, you know, like we just want to see the best people chase. And there are some things, it is limiting. Like, yes. you know, I've, I have seen people put videos together that say, oh, they should be doing this, they should be doing that. But 
you know, we're limited in, in what we're able to, and we're doing the best that we, and we, it's not like, it's not like we just rushed out some like quick format that we thought, okay, let's just put this format out and try and make some money doing it. No, like we've thought of scenario upon scenario upon scenario. And yeah, swings is one of the things. We try and put in a few things like where people could like at least underbar, but yeah. it's hard because some things are just not as efficient as others. And, you know, we want to see the best people chase and we want the action to be fast and furious because that's what we believe looks best. And unfortunately, they're just some things that we're, we're not going to be able to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to like, like, but can so I say one thing? To, um, I think for, I think we've sort of limited it. You know, we know. I think from an early stage, we kind of knew what we what the action we wanted to look like, and we just said, okay, we really like this action. We're not gonna we're not gonna vary it for the sake of varying it. So I think we've sort of just thought, okay, we like how it is. Let's just run with that. Maybe over time we can add more adaptive quads. But um, yeah, it's. But I, I think like parkour has we got our own problems to deal with. Like how, how do we try and create uh, a community and an ecosystem that survives on its own without just more investment and more investment, you know? And kind of parkour is, is faced with the same problem. Now, our, our concentric circles are, like there is some overlap with it, right? Mm-hmm. But, I, but parkour has its own problems of how, how do we keep, like young people interested in what we're doing and how do we get to a situation where, like I think Rene was saying, like, you know, I want to see someone do a concrete. I'd be like, I'd be so upset if you, if Chase Tag got so big that no one was doing concrete, you know, or, some, or any other kind of pre or any other kind of parkour specific move. And I, I, and I totally agree. I would be like upset if I didn't see But I think that, I, the way the way and when I look because I have first-hand experience of teams like fat there's certain things that I realize that will never change yeah and there'll always be young guys who form gangs yeah mm-hmm. and sometimes those gangs will play chase tag but chase tag is a hard thing to you know it's hard on the the cardio it's you know if you want to be good at chase there's certain things that you have to do there's certain things that will I think never die and that was a bunch of guys hanging out, doing silly things, different challenges. Yeah, yeah challenge. Yeah, do this. Yeah. And whether you call it parkour or free or whatever you're going to call it, that will always happen. Yeah, that there will always be guys who are hanging out together. Mm-hmm. Oh, can you? I bet you can't jump from there to there. I bet you can't swing from there to there or there. And that that's never whatever people call it. That sort of thing will never never die. I think while they're young young people are around. And as far as what we're doing, I think we've, we're trying to kind of boil down to the essence of what, like we always look at our thing as being the, the top of the pyramid. That's what we're trying to do. If we would have started off as a sport and we said, oh, okay, this quad is good for swinging, this quad is good for running, this quad is good for crawling, I think it would have diluted it a bit. We want to kind of flip it and say, okay, what's going to be the pinnacle of our sport? Let's try and do that so people can see the potential and then hopefully it'll sort of grow from underneath like that. So I think we've always been interested in what do we want to see? We want to see the best people chase. What kind of action do we want to see? Let's design a quad that kind of gets the best action of what we want to currently see. 
I don't think we want to kind of divulge into, okay, this is a different kind of quad that has this kind of action and this is a different kind of quad that has this kind of action. I think we've always been kind of, um, in a way, trying to distill it down to its purest form rather than broaden it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I always think that, you know, I always talk about this idea of deepening and, and, and widening within practices, right? Like, so you want to really, really understand what you do, right? And then experiment with other things and then really, really go deep into what you do and experiment with other things. And then you yeah. sort of, that's, that's how you layer mastery is through those two things, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, if you're a, if you're an MMA fighter, it's like you, you might want to have one home discipline, right? It's like, you know, that you're a great striker, you have that. And so it's like, you go and you get your, you build your jujitsu, you build your, ah, uh, your, your, um, your wrestling, and then you go back to your striking, right? And you say, mm -hmm. okay, well, how does all of that afford my ability to do this thing that I'm great at? Um, so that's how I kind of think about it. I mean, obviously I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a synthesizer, right? Like my the whole thing is all this incredible breadth of practices. And, you know, what we do with Evolve with Play is we have a bunch of different varieties of chase games, right? And so we think about how we, we can facilitate the development of it, right? Um, so like you said, the, 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 we want to see the best chasers, like, so my, my question for you guys would, wouldn't be the best chaser be somebody who can chase across a broad variety of circumstances as well, though. Absolutely. Yeah. We want to see the best chases on our court. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, maybe we should reiterate or fine tune our mission statement. We want to see the best chase. We want to see the best people chase in 20 seconds on our court. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I, you know, but I know, but we have like, we can't have too many things because especially at the beginning, one of the beauties I think about, about what we do is, um, you know, this, you probably heard the like, keep it simple, stupid. Right? And like we, you know, it's, it's one chaser, one evader, 20 seconds, don't get caught. That's it. I, I, it's really nice and simple. Right. But you wouldn't believe if we went into the details of the, all of the formats that we came up with. I'm sure. I mean, some of them were ridiculous. Oh, what designs? That we, we genuinely, we were yeah. talking about, yeah, yeah, this would work. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think about it now, it's utterly ridiculous and totally laughable. But we went through that and we discussed it. We tried it. And now that was shit. That didn't work. Why didn't that work? You know, we did all of that. And then uh, uh, over time, and it's sort of, it's sort of weird because it seems that it's so simple now. Mm. It just seems that, well, that's uh, it's obvious to do that. But why did we complicate yeah. it by doing all this? We did so many ridiculous things. Like, for an example, one of the ones we had was that, like, uh, have, like, two or three people chasing one person. Because yeah. we thought that would be really impressive moments. We realized that as soon as you have two people, the quad needs to be not just double as big. It needs to be, like, four times as big because it's so easy for two people to trap someone. So we thought, okay, let's let's make a rule that if two or three people are catching them, the three people catching them have to stay within a certain vicinity until, and then once they split up, they've only got like five seconds to catch them. No, so no, the only time doubled. doubled. We were doubled. Oh yeah, we were double time. So you can like, if you're all together, then time just goes normally. As soon as you split up, then suddenly one second counts for three seconds. So there's all these weird things. Yeah. And, it was, and maybe it would have looked good once people got the rules and got the tactics, but we literally, we, and that, that's just an example of how many different stupid formats we tried before. It was just like, actually, one chase and one evader, 20 seconds. Yeah. That's it. it was, um, do you guys follow any of the, like, ecological uh, um, 
uh, representative design stuff in like uh, the team sport world, like, uh, you know, Jamie Smith, U.S. Strength, or Jeremy Frisch, or some of these guys, Sean Mishka. Like, basically, they're they're trying to make practices uh, be less about just pure attribute development and more about things that are representative of situations that occur in the game. Mm-hmm. So they come up with a huge variety of cool games that reflect situations that happen within a wide variety of sports. Mm-hmm. So you'll see things like 2v1s, 1v2s, uh, you know, 2v2, 3v3, um, a lot of use of flags, you know. So that's something that I was thinking would be interesting on like the quad would be like a 2v2 with flags where, you know, you had to get, you know, the two two chasers have to get all the flags off the two, uh, two um, evaders, for instance, would be a, an interesting way to play the game. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, my brain's going on those, those type of t- uh, ideas. I think there's, I think there's lots of fun to be had, but I think you guys are, one thing I realized that um like doing like from the multiplayer or the ultimate type version, like let's call it multiplayer to be not confuse the audience. Um one thing I realized from the multiplayer version was that um a really important thing, because there's no ball or there's no puck or shuffercock or whatever, you have to know where where do I look, right? And the the to me, um like one of the new sports I really like is like ultimate frisbee. I think that's yeah. like in terms of sport, that's ultimate frisbee, like literally has it all. But people often talk about dodgeball. But when I look at dodgeball, dodgeball is only good when it gets down to the like the last couple of people. Because I, I'm just looking, I'm just seeing balls and people, and it's just chaos. I have no idea what to look at or where to look, and you miss something. And so, like to me, that's the flaw. And that's one of the with the with the multiplayer, you must know who is on it. Like who is on tag, and so and you can do that with light. You could light up, especially if you're in a controlled arena, the way you can darken everything. So, but the problem with these other formats of two v one one is just like there's no focus on attention. Yeah, you have to have a focus. You know, what we realize I'm doing that one on one is just a focus. We all know, and as well, what's interesting as well, um, someone only told me about this later, but like our dog, we've got Christian's got like a Jack Russell, and when you start chasing he immediately knows who's chasing who. He understands the game. So yeah. if we both stand on the other side of the garden and we say, go, when we say ready, his ears pick up. And when we go, he immediately knows, okay, we're chasing him. If yeah. we swap around, he'll know, okay, we're chasing him now. And apparently, I don't know much about it, but someone told me later, it's called a fixed action pattern when animals can just recognize a pattern and know, okay, I understand this game. And I think with chase tag, you don't need to watch it for like three seconds and you know there's a clear goal the time is on the corner of the um, screen you know okay we got 20 seconds and he is chasing him and that's it do you know what i mean and i think that that focus of attention is something we recognize quite early on and it's just a simple it makes it so simple i think when you start to add two on one or two versus two the whole thing gets muddied and unnecessarily cloudy from a spectator's point of view it could be fun but i think um, a lot of our element of it is from what do we want to see what's actually yeah. we want to see and right. i think for us it's the focus of attention, you know, yeah, that big as far as making it a successful sport, that's, mm-hmm. that's key. If, if, mm-hmm. the, if the spectator doesn't know where to look or there's multiple things going on at the same time, it's, it's just not going to work. Right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be chaos. Like we play a couple of games. Um, you know, we play a game called everybody's it. So you have a bunch of people say on the, like some, on, on, a, on, a, on a, in a course area, you could play it on the quad and anybody can tag anybody. 
but you can only tag someone after you've done a movement, right? So you, if you go over an obstacle and you land on the other side, then now you've earned a tag. You can only earn one tag at a time, right? Mm -hmm. This game's super fun. It's a really great developmental game. It would be absolute shit to watch, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, how are you going to track that, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's what we found about like dodgeball and multiplayer yeah. and stuff like that. It's very, yeah, you don't know where to look. It's very difficult to tell if rules have been broken and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, no, I, I think like I'm, I'm, you know, the, the idea that the idea that I've talked about that, that we were concerned about of the, of the competitive format consuming the sport, that's not something I'm actually worried about. Um, like, I think that what's happened with parkour looks a lot like, say, rock climbing. Right, where you have multiple competitive formats that are associated with rock climbing, but people who are really into water rock climbing generally still just rock climb and yeah, yeah. also do yeah. So there's speed yeah. climbers and there's there's bouldering competitions and you know other types of competition. And it's like this could be the same thing for parkour. You can have you can have athletes who are doing world chase dog and doing NAPC, right? Yeah. Yeah. And other 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 formats are out there. Uh, this is really purely from a selfish standpoint. I'm interested in the idea of like, how do you design multiple courses that bring out different aspects of the discipline and cultivate the qualities of athletes that are generally capable in the way that I'm interested in, in them being generally capable. I think that's something we'd love to do. Like in the future, like I say, if we had a warehouse, we would do much more experimenting yeah. on different quad designs and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, things that like, I, I really like sort of seeing swinging stuff. Like when you see monkeys chasing the trees and stuff, I would love to see a quad that has that kind of element to it. Um, so yeah, it's, if we had more of a budget and we, if we had a warehouse and like, you know, six months to experiment stuff, I think we'd come up with loads of different designs um, and loads of different, probably different types of playing format. And we've got a, um, we've got a 12, um, a, the competition quad is 12 meters by 12 meters. We've also got an eight meter quad, eight meters by eight meters. Yeah. And we've done it in like shopping um, events and shopping malls and stuff like that. And it's really interesting because it's a very, coming back to that EQ concept, mm -hmm. we want about 25 to 35% of our chases to end in an evasion. Yeah. So we call that like the um, evasion ratio. Mm -hmm. We figured that from a spectator's point of view, that's just about right. Yeah. You're not going to get many nil-nil draws but it's still meaningful when you score an evasion. So we want this sort of 25 to 35% evasion ratio. Because we had to have a smaller quad to fit into the, um, into the shopping mall, we had to design it smaller. And so we knew, okay, to provide enough protection for the evader, if it's a smaller quad, it's going to be easy to catch the, catch the um, evader. So we have to make the quad more complicated. So we've got this eight meter design and there's much more bars, there's much more levels. You've always got to move. And the style of the movement is very, very different because it is more swinging and more crawling. You always have to change. You, there's no sprinting at all. Yeah. You know, you take a couple of steps, you have to do something. You take a couple of steps, you have to do something. And so it took us quite a while to sort of adapt and improve that eight meter quad. And I really like the action. Christian isn't that keen on it, but I really like it. It's crawling and scrambling and diving and swinging and stuff like that, much, much more. And one thing we realized because it's a smaller quad, the kind of anxiety levels are much higher because you're always really close to the person. Mm -hmm. So they're right, right there next to each other, just moving around. And so it's a very different style of game. And it does have a big impact on how it looks and how it's played. 
So given more time, I think we would organize um, different types of quads and experiment with it. But we just haven't got the time or the funding to sort of do that at the moment, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but as well, I think... And, and also, like, a big factor for us is that, like, when, you, when you're trying to do essentially what is a new sport, that, that you've got some really big hurdles to get over. And that is when you, if you compare it to something like, say, soccer or American football in, a, in, in your country, right? you've got, it's played in schools, it's played in clubs, the local town is providing pitches, goalposts, they give you free gym at night. Like, what, there, there's, whatever there is, the, the council are paying money, the schools are paying money. There's, a, there's money, money, money going in, like, but when you're doing something like chase tag, there's no, there's like, where, where do the teams go and train now? So now we have an event coming up. It's in someone's back garden, right? And all teams have to fly to Colorado to get a chance on the court. Some teams are not even going to get the chance to go on the court. It's not, you know, this is not like the future, but it requires so much investment from each people. So for us, it's really important to try and like what we're trying to do is if you can create a community where we have to try and create, and this is try, you have to try and create a situation where it's not just you that benefit. Everyone needs to benefit from this because if other people could benefit, then the whole thing grows and it becomes much more powerful. Yeah. But this is a really big challenge, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what, like, with the quads and everything, this is, this is what we're, like, trying to create, you know? So and we have, we have partners, like, set up, you know, we sort of divided the world into sections. So we got um, like Ameri- like Pan America, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and Asia. So like for Pan America, um, we're like Mark Turok is developing the like the, the the training. So what we want to do is have something like a license, so people could do the like gyms or you know personal trainers, whatever they can do the the training, so they know about like quad safety and quad design and and strategies and that sort of thing and then um and then they can have their own quad and then so like mark is doing it for there and then for europe middle east and africa there's a guy called loic ascarino who is um he has a gym in Lyon called uh, kimio and then in um shanghai we're talking to some guys um who actually we've done probably the most with them the guys in shanghai is uh, kyle shapiro and martino chen and they, um, they've got a company called Link Parkour, and it's also Parkour, uh, Shanghai Parkour Association. Mm-hmm. And, um, and China is, is developing quite well. They, um, we got these people called uh, Go Sport, and they've signed a deal to do on the eight meter quad in shopping malls. They're doing 10, 10 stops in 10 different cities. Actually, 10, I think it's 10 different cities, but they're doing 12 stops. And then it culminates in um, in October. They'll do the China Championship underneath the the Oriental Pearl. You know the the big uh, Shanghai building. It's called okay. the Oriental. The, the the building that everyone would recognize. They're doing yeah. it underneath this in October. So they yeah things are going quite well um, in China. Um, and I, it's just a shame that. With everything with COVID, I don't see that the Chinese team is going to be able to make it out like this year. I don't see it. We'll invite them, and if they can make it, that'd be great. But I, I don't see it's going to happen. I I see it happening maybe twenty two 
or even beyond with China, unfortunately. But by the time they do come, it's going to be really interesting to see because some of their teams would have had, you know, a bit more like quad time and a bit more development. So yeah. it'd be, yeah, to me, that's where it gets really interesting when you see like the Japanese team, the Korean team, the Chinese team, plus yeah. the Europeans, plus the Americans, and eventually the South Americans and Africans as well. It's going to be. Yeah. One of the things when that com- when we had that conversation with Amos, that kind of brief conversation when he was showing us all those stats, um, he he said um, he showed all the stuff and said, look, later on when we got back to the UK, he said, um, oh yeah, is there anywhere where I can share all this stuff because I've built up all this knowledge? Is there anywhere I can share it? Can I put it on the website or anything like that? And I actually said to him, well, actually, no, keep it to yourself because what we kind of want is to like in the early days of the UFC. Yeah. They had all these different styles just come together and you were just seeing, okay, which style wins out, you know, and then now it's kind of just morphed and it's really improved a lot, you know, just the overall round, well-rounded mixed martial arts has just changed completely now. And um, what I'm really interested to see is if each team have their own tactics and they don't tell anyone about their own tactics, they're going to come with all these different styles. And I find that very interesting. Different ideas about how long do you kind of stall behind an obstacle and wait? Do you run to the next obstacle straight away? What, you know, how you use your timing differently. And I'm really interested to see um, how, like, so, and the interesting thing about the Chinese team in particular is that we don't share social media channels. So we don't know anything about those athletes. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting. Given them, you know, give them a year or two to have time on their own quad no one will have any idea what to expect when they compete. So I'm really interested to see what happens with that. You know? Sounds super fun. Yeah, we have, a, like I said, we have a parkour park here in town and I just suddenly had a vision of the quad there, you know, like every, if every, uh, every parkour park had a little quad. Inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd be cool. It'd be cool too to have like, a, you know, talking about that stability versus variability of training environments. Like if every parkour park is different and every quad is the same, then people can can play with the elements and you can play the game in the park, right? Or yeah. you can incorporate the park. Um, mm-hmm. And you can have this one thing that's shared. Like that's one thing that I think um, powered CrossFit to grow really fast is that you can do a shared experience that everybody else mm-hmm. is doing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, if we all put 135 pounds on the bar and do 30 cleans, and I can cross compare what I'm experiencing with what you're experiencing on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. But my part, but when, but like, you know, I have the problem of trying to teach people to do the movement that I do, which is really, really unique to the trees and rocks in my native area. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I have to help somebody in France find mm-hmm. trees that are different mm-hmm. from mine and figure out how they move in those trees. Mm-hmm. That's a real, like, it's a real barrier in some ways. Yeah. There's something beautiful about it. There's something really powerful about like we want to create the for me, I want to create that kind of adaptability and that multiplicity of vision. Um, mm-hmm. but there's something cool also about having like what is something that we could have that we know is stable across all of these places. And in context, I think I think context is really important for like the like what we found with Chase Tag. If you have if someone is always by the tilted cube and they move, you know, if the obstacles change every event. I don't, I think you would lose a certain kind of context. And what we're hoping as well is that like, usually before an event, the athletes get like 45 minutes time on the quad and that's it. If we keep the same basic quad design, what they'll be able to do in like 
20 years or 10 years. I'm sure there'll be changes from now to then, but um, but if there's a standard quad that they can just get to know really, really well, it'd be really interesting to see how far they can just get to know that quad and just, um, and it will, there will be tweaking along the way because, you know, I'm sure over time there'll be certain weaknesses in the quad and as the standard gets higher, we'll have to add more EQ again and stuff. So there will be changes, but I'm really interested to see how, what level of competition we'll get to if they just learn those, set, like IMAX. Yeah. So many people know IMAX. So the moves they're doing at IMAX is so crazy because they've just drilled it and drilled it and drilled it and drilled it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with, you know, it, and with the quad. Going, going back to like what you're saying about, you know, trying to keep it like the same. For, for us, a big and important element when we design the quad, we design it like we do try and get a range of movements. We understand like lashes, yeah, the, like, we can't really do that, but we try and get as wide a range as possible and make sure that if you're just going around the outside that you're forced to be doing different things. But a very important thing for us is what we call like body type neutral because we do want it to be played and we are really interested to see how different um, different cultures like adapt to the quad. And so having, we don't want it to be favored by a tall person over a small person. We want it to be kind of equal. Mm -hmm. And so we do put a lot of effort into adjusting heights and widths and gaps and everything to make sure that it's, you know, typically someone might prefer to go over, someone might prefer to go under. It's funny. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like I'm definitely too big. For no, us. there's no too big. Well, I, so, I, I, no, I would have thought that because we, someone asked this question, um, one of the producers, he was asking me to list like some people he wanted. Yeah. He, doing, he was doing links for the presenter, right? And he wanted like a couple of different things to, to focus on. And he was saying, like, I want a list of small people. I want a list of tall people. Mm -hmm. And, like, he, we were struggling to have a list of really tall people that were dominant. And this was at the American event. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, out in, a, in Europe, we have a few taller people that have been really good. But, but then um, this guy, Carl Soderman. Carl is at least six foot. Maybe he's six one. Yeah. What do you like? Six two? Yeah. Six three? Yeah. But I'm also 100 kilos. Yeah, but Kyle, I mean, Kyle, yeah, Kyle's not 100 kilos, but he's not, he's not, he's not light. And so you have, and what I find interesting is you have this balance between like generally power yeah. gives you mass, right? But you got to balance out your power with your ability to stop. So someone who's really light, he can have power and then he could just stop, boom. And that's, that's the, we're in other sports, your ability to just stop momentum generally helps you in other sports. You know, even when you're doing hundred meters, you don't need to suddenly stop. You just run, 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 and come all to a, a nice gradual halt. Yeah. All the teams but in American football, in rugby, in all these sort of things, momentum is generally a good thing. Yeah? Well, you need change of direction though. And change of direction is helps smaller athletes. So, you know, like if you, if you look at, a, um, if you look at, Running backs, wideouts, cornerbacks, like they they all are smaller than the than other players on the field because they're they're more reliant on change of direction as well as just straight speed. Um, or you know, we were talking. I was thinking about basketball earlier, like because you're talking about critical distance. Because one thing you'll see in basketball is when you have a player who's quick and shifty and whose desire is to blow past you, you'll move away from him, right? 
And so like if, if I'm a, if I'm a point guard and I'm six foot one, 190 pounds, right. And like I'm a small guy from a, from a basketball perspective, I really need to be able to shoot well, because otherwise you will just leave me a lot of room and then you'll have plenty of time to react to me. And this is kind of the same thing of, uh, that you were talking about where, when the athlete who's pursuing is further away, it's actually easier for them to adjust to the changes that the, um, that the, the evader is making, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to bring them in close enough that you can, that you can manipulate them into moving the wrong direction. So you can get them mm-hmm. a, big, a big gain to set up a new, a new situation where you can do that repeatedly, right? Otherwise you're just running and you're fatiguing yourself. Yeah. 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 So, so it's an event like, um, at, when I look at the quad, I think, I think Seth Wang, right. I think a guy who, who's, who's, you know, the, it, the quad doesn't, doesn't to me look like there's a few places where I see people really using power, but like from a parkour athlete perspective, there's not that many places where you can do a big power move and gain a big advantage. Um, but there's, there are a number of places where being able to get through tight spaces is a huge advantage. Some of the dives through to tag somebody, though that's where length really helps. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. There's an anomaly like Haroon, one of the guys, a UK guys in Eugene. He's 6'3", 6'4". His arms, his reach is crazy. And he fits through the smallest spaces. Yeah. And he's never, um, uh, he's, he's got like 100% tag rate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know he's never been. A he's, he's probably. Yeah, I don't think he's six four. I yeah, think right? yeah, I'd say six two or six three maybe. Like, Long I, arms. Yeah, yeah. But his arms, yeah, you know, crazy. the arms are meant to be. I I reckon his his wingspan must be higher than because his arms. Just like basketball, right? Like the length is more important than the height in some ways because yeah. your arms close down where the ball can move around you. Yeah. But what's the sphere that you can contain? And so for a long athlete in a in the quad, they're going to be able to shut down a wider area and force the athlete to move further to get away from them. Yeah. Right? Uh, so there's there's advantages to length for sure, as opposed to say the like a like a Seth Wang basically, like what I'm seeing there is low center of mass. So he's going to change direction really quickly. He's light and he's really powerful. And then he has that ability to move through small spaces really well, but he doesn't have the length that someone like Karun has. But the, the weird thing about Seth is that he's really good at chasing, but he, he got a few evasions. There's one match, a common match when it is, but he got like two or three evasions in a row. Yeah. And oh, it must be two, I think it was two evasions in a row, but he, his skill is actually chasing, not evading. Yeah. And so you would think the size, so it's, and then look at the person who got the most evasions is Kyle. He's six, one or six, two. So it's, it's not, it doesn't play out how you think. I don't think a lot of time it's, it doesn't play out how you think it's going to play out. And Haroon is good too. He gets evasions and he's six, three. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, you know, it's, oh, it's I'd love to come and, and, and try the quad someday. I just, uh, yeah. With my own, um, own professional. Well, if you if you're around in August, then yeah, if you're sure. able to get over, yeah. then like yeah, we'd love to have you. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. I'm. I have an event that runs from July 21st to the 28th. So you, the thing coming up is like August 3rd, right? It's it's third to the sixth. Yeah, the third is just practice day. There's some matches, like first round matches. The ESPN thing is only from the sixth. Mm-hmm. So. 
on the third we have practice on the fourth we have some like couple rounds of, of matches because what we wanted to do is uh, we wanted to have as many teams involved as possible because now like teams want to get involved yeah. um, so it, it was very difficult and we had to trade off because if if you have more teams then each team has less practice time because like now we've got 20 teams so that's if they only have one hour each, that's still 20 hours yeah, yeah. that we have to find. Yeah. So you have to rent, you know, that's that's at least like, you know, three days of, of venue hire that you have to, you know, so it is it is a trade-off. But anyway, we, we decided to settle on um, the top four teams have pre-qualified for the quarterfinals, which will be televised on ESPN. And then before that, we have 16 teams playing two rounds to narrow it down to the top four teams that meet the top four seeded teams. Four teams. So the, the seeded teams are the, the order from the last event. So Apex yeah. 1, Hollywood 2, um, 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 GNF 3, and American Park over 4. Very cool. Um, so <laughs> I think we're running a little bit low on time. I don't know if you guys want to go into it. We've, we've mentioned it a few times, and I, you know, I know you shared that uh, Jimmy the Giant video with me. So I was curious if you wanted to tell a little bit of this background of uh, of Ultimate Tag and how that that came down, or maybe we save that for another day. Jimmy covered it. Tell you the Jimmy covered it as better a story than we could ever tell. So, but it was it was kind of exactly how he covered it. We noticed it. Um, the the first time we sort of came wind of it was actually, um, and Jimmy mentioned it on the um, video. It was on we put out a promo for WCT four or three. Yeah, it must have been WCT4. And someone, um, uh, there was a little comment on it and it said, um, it said, oh, this could be perfect timing. Christian showed it to me and he goes, I'm suspicious of this comment. And I was like, there's nothing. There's just some guy, I don't know, he just, he wanted to come and it's good timing. And I was in, Christian goes, no, 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 there's something suspicious about this. So he clicked on it and realized it was from this production company. And that was when it all, we started to realize what was going on, you know? Um, and yeah, it was, it was a strange story. It was a very strange yeah, story. I, I, at the end of the day, it's the, like we don't have right from the beginning. As soon as we started to put videos out, we started to get approached by pr production companies in LA mm -hmm. that said, "Oh, we're looking for the next Ninja Warrior." Right? Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, at first, you're starting out, so uh, some company from LA, like you know, approaches you. You're thinking, "Wow, that's awesome!" You know, yeah. and um, we even. Even one even did a scissor reel for us, yeah. And um, they put that scissor reel together, and and um, and and you know, we were very much like for, like that was our tagline is like, you know, one rule, don't get caught. And um, and once we started to talk to these production companies in LA, there's a total it's like a, another like another galaxy between sports production companies and television entertainment companies, yeah. yeah. And uh, I won't compete on Ninja Warrior. Oh, like, okay. honestly, and yeah, at it's... first, you don't know anything. So you think, oh, yeah, TV company, that's really, I'm flattered and they're going to do this and that. And then after one, two, honestly, I've got a list of maybe 30 television companies that contacted about, and they all wanted the same thing, right? And, um, and they, yeah, we, this would be funny and this would be this and this and that. And, and we have bigger quad. We want a much yeah. bigger quad and bright lights and you press a button here and this person runs up here and it's just and like, that. And, that. And, and we just we just decided not to do it. We Like, no, we, we want to do what we do. And there's no point trying to 
sell out to these people to make a quick buck, you know, when you're trying to do something. Because what if you did that, it's like game over, right? So, yeah. um, so there's certain things that we hold. Excuse me, Christian. I don't. The audience won't necessarily know what we're talking about, so I just want to background it real quickly. But oh, right. you guys created this World Chase tag, and then recently, Fox had this show called Ultimate Tag, and then that's even been licensed and shown up in Australia, I believe. And mm-hmm. you know, like you said, we don't have to go into it. Jimmy the Giant's channel covered really particularly how it's pretty clear that they took the idea from you guys. Um, but but that's that's what we're referring to. So go ahead and finish your point, please. The thing is, the idea, the, the idea is one thing. So the people who make Ultimate Tag, they I've seen a few comments of people like online saying, like that Chase Tag, like World Chase Tag people are upset with them because we stole Tag and like Tag is free, Tag is for everyone. Like we have to be clear about what we're upset about, right? Mm-hmm. We had this thing, tagline, one rule, don't get caught. Yeah. Right. And there were a number of things that that they did. This was one of the things that that came up. There was some things that we're like not happy about, and that's like one of them. If they want to make a a thing about tag, then it's no problem. Make a program about tag. We don't own tag, but to take our tagline word for word and never claim. I remember they said in there they did all kind of interviews and they said who your inspirations behind the show and they were saying oh we want to make like a new gladiators and this they never mentioned us they took our tagline word for word we there's so many posts we have there's only one rule don't get caught there's only one rule don't get caught the the post that they commented on that christian found it said at the end there's only one rule don't get caught and so for them to take that and not credit us or not say what it was it's just, that's just ridiculous. It doesn't surprise us. That's what TV companies do. But it, 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 it runs, it just, it's something about that. Like, it just runs deeper for me because I had, I was like the general manager of a hotel. Then I, I came into, I was the managing director of this, like quite a big group. And, um, you know, I was, I don't know how old I was when I started. Like I was mid forties or whatever. I'm like, I'm 51 now. Yeah. But I was mid forties when I did, and then for you to leave and jeopardize your family's income, like my mortgage, everything I put everything like on the line. This was the doing leaving a, a nice job like that was one of the most ridiculous and irresponsible things that you could possibly do, and 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 at the time it makes more sense now, but yeah. at the time it's what are you doing? This is just totally like idiotic thing to do, right? Um, but I had in my mind, like, yeah, this, this could work. And, and also, you know, you reach a certain age and you, that's when you're at a crossroads because that's when you kind of capitalize. You do all the crap in hotels. You don't make that much money in hotels, but you do all the crap because we reach a certain age when you can, yeah, you're in a position of authority. You don't quite need to work as hard because you're calling the shots. You have a team of people doing everything for you. And then when you start your own business, you have to do everything yourself, right? And um, and when I did that tagline, that tagline doesn't just, it's not just some marketing thing that you dream up in an office with a bunch of branding people. Mm-hmm. This was something that that means, you know, for you to take that risk and put everything on the line, it's don't get caught means much more than just, oh yeah, it's tag, don't get caught, ha ha ha. This means something, yeah? So when now you see people like, 
like your parkour heroes, yeah. To me, the biggest superhero in parkour is Dom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And to see to see someone like Dom looking into the camera, dressed up in costume, and then saying, "You're like, yeah, one rule: don't get caught." Fuck, that hurts. Man. That you know, what I mean, because this isn't so. This is not a joke. This is not like some marketing thing. Oh yeah, I came up with this thing, and now I'm gonna make some money, and then that's it. No, this is. You know, I'm not like philosophical person or something like that. Like you are sometimes, you know, that's just not so much who I am. But there's certain things that mean something. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's one. I'm curious. It seems to me that like when that Jim and the Giant thing happened, like the American parkour community really came out and supported you guys. And it seemed like the European community came out and support. But it seemed like in Australia it kind of washed over and everyone wanted to support their athletes in in, in no, we had some, yeah. we had some good support. We had some really good support. One of the guys, um, I noticed him put a um, um, like the guys in Sydney Park. Or, yeah, they were really they, they, like, and they turned it down. They said they, he put his letter up on on Instagram story and said, yeah, I think it was Sam Carter, um, yeah. and he sort of said um, said, oh yeah, I got um, accepted to the program, but he wrote a letter back saying um, saying, oh yeah, I found out the story behind this program. I don't want to be involved anymore. And that is really amazing thing to do. I've never met the guy, but for him to sort of have this opportunity and then say, actually, no, 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 I don't want to do that. That was really nice. So we did get a lot of support from people. I mean, we totally understand all the athletes. We really respect all the athletes who took part in the program because they're getting paid to do it. It's totally and utterly fine. We're not angry with the athletes or anything like that. But the circumstance with which the TV company did that and put the whole thing together and sort of that's, uh, you know, that's not good. Do you know what I mean? I don't really have anything, you know, it's just, I don't think it, it, it did it cause us any detriment. It's difficult to really say. It, it did cause detriment because it, but it's not, it's not their fault. If someone wants to do tag, that's up to them. Right. Mm. But is it detrimental? hundred percent because you're in a no win situation. Either one of two things could happen. Either the show does really well. And then that's now what everyone wants to do. Right. In which case we suffer. Or the show is a total and utter flop, in which case, when you're talking to anyone that has in, in that space, they know, oh, I heard about that show. I heard it was awful. I'm not, I don't want to touch you. Yeah. So like either way you suffer. Yeah. But yeah. it is what it is, you know, and I still, and I, the reason Australia kind of really hurt because we were like, I was more out of new teams. There was like this athlete and that athlete. But we were talking to an Australian team, and the Australian team had the, the um, Dylan and Brody, Kadori and Dom, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was just like it was like a dream team, mm -hmm. and I was so excited about that. I was more excited about that team than I have been about any other new team, just because of who is in it. Yeah. And um, and, and, and they're still, if they want to compete, like the door is wide open. I still. As but it said, just, they wrote a letter when we were about to the world championships before COVID hit, and um, and one of them sent us a letter saying, "Oh, we got a job um, for the whole of October, or whenever the month was." Yeah, we were like, "Wait a minute, what what do you do for a whole month?" 
And what means, you know, and so we realized, oh shit, they're done. And then we realized a, a month later or whenever it was, we realized, oh, there's ultimate tag season done. And we were like, oh shit, they've done Australian ultimate tag and they're in the team. And that we were gutted about that, really gutted. Yeah. The door's still open, obviously, if they want to compete. But that was, yeah, we were really gutted about that. Kadori, I follow him on Instagram. Yeah. I loved how he, you know, Kadori, Porson yeah. Brothers and stuff. Uh, so, you know, but Sam Carter, we give priority yeah. to Sam Carter. Yeah. Okay. But after Sam Carter, then we get the priority of the, all the team back again. Well, um, you know, I'll cross my fingers that, that your, your okay. Australian dream team makes it to World Chase Tag. Um, I think that's probably a good place to to, to conclude the interview for today. Um, it's getting dark where you guys are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can hardly pick you up anymore. Um, really enjoyed the chat, though. This was super fun. And uh, I wish you guys absolutely the best of luck in August. And I probably won't be able to make it out and join you guys at this one, but certainly if there's some way that I can come be involved and uh, jump around on it at some future date, I'd love to do so. Yeah, definitely. As things currently stand, we're, um, we're going to do World Chase Tag 5 in Atlanta in October. Okay. So there's another opportunity, a bit more longer lead in. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Um, do you know what time in Atlanta uh, in October, like early or late? Um, I think our broadcast date is 24th. Yeah. I teach an event until the, the third, so I might, I might be able to recover, come play. So that would be super fun. So let's, yeah. let's stay in touch about that. And um, yeah, yeah, have a good evening, guys. And thank you so much for the interview. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Hey, you've reached the end of another Evolve Move Play podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, if you want to be involved in the conversation, please consider joining us in our new membership subscription so you can get access to question and answers with our live speakers once a month, question and answers with me once a month, and a dedicated forum to discuss everything going on in the podcast, as well as a general discussion of movement on our general movement forums. If you're interested in that, make sure to check out the link below, get signed up, and join a part of our membership community. If you can't join our membership community right now, it's still always helpful if you can like, share, and subscribe, and even hit that bell and get notifications for upcoming Evolve Move Play podcasts. But adios for now, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.